Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. As always, we would like to thank all our listeners for their support. Uh, Please do continue to listen to us uh, and spread the word about our podcast to your cricket-loving friends. If you haven't done it already, please subscribe to our podcast on the platform you're listening to us on, whether it's uh, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, uh, anything like that. You can find us uh, on all these platforms by searching for Armchair Cricket Podcast. Uh, do not forget to leave us a rating, preferably a five-star rating, and uh, also let us know your feedback. You can reach out to us by email, armchair.cricket at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, at armchaircrickpod. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, the links to all these channels are described in the comment in the description section below now continuing with our focus on world cup team selection uh, we have a special feature today on the new zealand cricket team Uh, we're also delighted to tell you that uh, we're joined today by the cricketeers podcast from new zealand for this section now uh, having said that i would like to introduce you to my co-host ajit hello ajit how are you doing hi giddy good morning i'm doing good how about you I'm fine, thank you. Good morning to you too. Well, I mean, uh, this is a day of festivities here in the Netherlands. It's the King's Day. It's the holiday uh, that has been given because it's the birthday of the king. So mm-hmm. we would like to wish our monarch uh, a very happy birthday. Right? Yes, we do indeed, yeah. And what right. a day today. <laughs> it's beautifully yeah. raining outside well, it's, 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 while it's, we are recording uh, this. Yeah. It's appropriate. It's uh, proper Dutch weather, I would say, isn't it? Uh, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. <laughs> 
right. right. Let's get cracking then. So, um, before we begin uh, with the IPL uh, stuff, I think uh, mm-hmm. we should quickly take a look at the trivia question. So, mm-hmm. the trivia question we had asked last week was, uh, which captain has the best win-loss percentage ratio in cricket World Cups? And we had set a cutoff of 10 matches minimum, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, this shows that we are looking for a captain who is not only, you know, probably uh, very successful, but also has a longevity. So, but uh, considering that we were discussing Australia last week, I think the answer is very obvious. I was surprised to see uh, not a lot of correct answers, actually. So, I think we had one correct answer, our uh, regular friend uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, guest on the podcast, Karna, I think, uh, made a correct answer on uh, Podbean. Outside of that, I didn't see many correct answers. So, the correct answer is Ricky Ponting. Right. So mm-hmm. this guy won three World Cups. So he has 29 matches as a captain and his win-loss ratio is an astounding 92.85%. Mm-hmm. Right. Nobody even comes close to him. Nobody. I think Steve Waugh has an 85% win-loss ratio and uh, not a lot of captains come this close. So, uh, well, I mean, as I said, it was sort of a very obvious sort of a question. But nonetheless, uh, you know, it, it always shows how how big uh, Ponting's achievements are when it comes to World Cups and even otherwise, I would say, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Having said that, I think we can go on. Uh, let's go on to the IPL section, Giri. So, yes. mm-hmm. what is this? Uh, what have you done? Have you done any special, uh, you know, ceremonies? Yeah, I, or... I've, no, I've cast a spell on the, all the other teams so That's that we lose like. against RCB, yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, four out of five. Uh, so, oh. RCB's resurgence continues. So, you know, they seem to have uh, Kings 11 Punjab this time. Uh, and they yeah. beat them. Yeah. Would you like to quickly take us through some uh, highlights of the scores? Mm, yeah, but before that, I have to tell you, I mean, I, I have to say that this was played at Bangalore, right? Uh, ah. And yeah, and w- while it was played at Bangalore, uh, it was a 200-plus score and RCB for a change managed to, uh, you know, defend it. Right. right. So it's, right. It's, uh, it's amazing that they're able to, you know, defend such scores. Although I think they would have... Uh, they would have had their heart in their mouths uh, when uh, uh, Umesh Yadav still bowled the last over of the of the of the second innings while RCB were bowling. Well, uh, I think it was it was almost deja vu. <laughs> Although yeah. on this occasion it was I think uh, it, it was a bit too much. It was too steep a mountain to climb uh, for uh, King Sullivan towards the end. But let's look at the scores quickly. RCB batted first. Um, um, Kings 11 won the toss and uh, decided to bowl, so RCB had to bat first. They made 202 for the loss of four wickets, <clears throat> with um, AB De Villiers coming good towards the end, especially towards the death overs, uh, last three, four overs. I think he scored very, very quickly, and he made 82 not out towards the end. Uh, it was uh, accompanied by uh, Marcus Toynis, also playing a very good hand with 46 runs, and they helped. Um, RCB reached that score of 202. I remember watching this. I think RCB even touched the score of 100 runs by about 14th over or so, 14th or 15th over, and then they managed yeah. to, you know, reach 200 in about. I mean, they, they scored the remaining runs in five or six overs, the last five six overs. So it was true testament to uh, ABD Williams' skills, unbelievable hitting, like mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kings 11 were also a bit sloppy in the field, I think. There were some misfields here and there. Um, but in the end, you know, that was a very good score. But we all know what, um, I mean, I keep saying this, you know, Bangalore, Chinnaswamy Stadium is a is a bowler's graveyard. 
Uh, it's basically well, even if you score 200, you are not assured of uh, you know um, being able to defend that. Um, notwithstanding the kind of bowling lineup they uh, RCB have, you know, especially depleted uh, because uh, Dale Stein uh, has unfortunately uh, picked up an injury again, the same oh, shoulder. Yeah, so he, yeah. he couldn't play today. Uh, so they were led by Team Saudi, uh, who you know hasn't had <laughs> a lot of uh, good form in this tournament either. Yeah. Um, but Kings Eleven started quite well, I think. The the start was uh, explosive from Chris Gale for a change. He didn't try to settle down. He went after the bowling immediately. Right. Rahul stayed there. Uh, he was also looking very fluent. But something happened. They ha- all of them had starts uh, until the um, I would say the middle order, lower middle order. Mm-hmm. And I almost thought thought you know when Nick uh, sorry uh, Nick Puran and uh, David uh, Miller were batting, I I thought they were going to chase this down. Exactly. Um, but they lost two wickets very in quick succession, and once those two were out, they lost all the momentum they had. Kings Eleven, and um, in the end, it turned out you know 202 was more than enough, mm-hmm. um, and RCB won the match by 17 runs. Um, you know, uh, one main yeah. thing you can mm-hmm. say is the number of runs that RCB scored versus uh, Kings Eleven scored in the last three overs. So this was something I was reading. Mm. Kings 11 conceded 66 runs in their last three overs. Wow. Right? And RCB conceded nine runs. Right. So this was all there was to it. Even though they were sort of ahead of RCB right through the chase, mm. the last three overs cost Kings 11 the match. Mm. And also, I think they were all right. They were in with a shout until Nicholas Puran got out. Mm. And then it was a bit too much, I think. Because, um, you know, yesterday uh, or the day before yesterday where... Uh, Rajasthan Royals were able to chase down such a daunting target as well with Jofra Archer and Rian Parag doing something. Yeah. So they were able to really bat well and sort of if somebody had supported Nicholas Puran at that stage, maybe even Ashwin, maybe Mandeep Singh, unfortunately they couldn't uh, you know, get over the line. But also credit has to be given to both Saini and I think uh, the last three overs. One was bowled by Saudi, one by Yadav, one by Saini, yeah. if I'm not wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. So they have to be given credit there that also, first of all, Kohli planned it in such a way that his main bowlers retained some, uh, you know, overs. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, of course, that uh, they did their job as expected. I think uh, Yadav finally redeemed himself a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. That's, but, that was a very nice match for us. Yeah, but, you know, I have to mention something. Nick Puran, uh-huh. wow, he's, he's quite explosive. I, I didn't expect him, you know. To be so good, I mean, I mean, we all know of his talents, but he's finally coming good. So it really bodes well for the West Indian cricket team because they've also included him the uh, in him in the squad that uh, goes to England for the World Cup. Right. And he's also a wicket keeper, just like Shea Hope. So they have very good two two very good uh, wicket keeper batsmen in their uh, in their side. So perfect. No, it's it's a good thing, sir. That uh, you know he has to come off uh, you know age, so to say, and also be very strong for them. He could be just used as a middle order finisher or something lower middle order finisher, so to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. The other important uh, news is that well, Buren Hendricks uh, has been chosen by you know Mumbai Indians to replace Alzari Joseph, who's been ruled out and who unfortunately also lost out on you know uh, his place in the World Cup. We'll get through this a bit later in the podcast, I think, but uh, it's unfortunate, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, a couple of other small news. Well, before we look at the Mumbai Indians match against CSK yesterday, I think Watson has decided to retire from BBL and uh, basically has retired from all Australian cricket, it looks like. Mm. Uh, So well done him. And uh, well, I mean, his contributions for Sydney Thunder were very good over the last two to three years, I think. And uh, they'll miss him. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Now, let's look at this Mumbai Indians versus CSK match quickly. Uh, Mumbai Indians seems to bring out their best when they play CSK. I think these are the top two most successful teams, right, in the mm-hmm. franchise. Mm-hmm. So, franchisees. So, they, I would say maybe they reserve their best against uh, Chennai. And, well, I mean, when you look at the halfway stage in the match, at 155 for four, you thought Mumbai Indians could have done a bit more, could have tried to have, you know, hit a few more runs. And it looked like, even though it was a Chennai, they may have been a bit short. I mean, one special mention to Mitch Shantner, of course, who took uh, 13, uh, who took two runs. Oh, I'm sorry, who gave 13 runs and uh, took two wickets in his four hours. And uh, you were telling me off, off air something about him bowling, Kiri. Yeah, he was bowling quite quick actually for for a spinner, for a finger spinner who you know you would expect him to flight the ball a bit. Uh, and bowl slowly in order to get mm-hmm. purchase from the wicket. Mm-hmm. But he was bowling uh, in the high 90s, 95 to 100 kilometers per hour. Mm. And he was bowling on a good length, bowling on leg stump, I would say. And the ball was turning square I see. at that speed. So it was unbelievable. If you look at the way uh, Murli Vijay was beaten, uh, uh, sorry, not Murli Vijay, who was the other guy? Uh, I, I forgot his name. I think it was uh, Rohit Sharma, in fact. Ah, um, ah. Yeah, Rohit Sharma was trying to, you know, uh, play him uh, off the front foot towards the cover, but he was getting uh, beaten on a couple of occasions, at least, that I can remember from my memory. Um, And also Hardik Pandya. Hardik Pandya also, you know, was a bit scratchy when he started, but he stayed out till the end, uh, along with Pollard. Otherwise, uh, they wouldn't have had, uh, you know, uh, they wouldn't have had 155 runs on the board. I think it proved very crucial. This was not a 170 or 180 wicket. This was a slowish pitch with a lot of purchase for the spinners. Uh, but Santra was Santner was uh, was exceptionally good uh, for a finger spinner. Mm-hmm. That may be his best uh, IPL figures. I think so as well. And I heard a commentator say this this was one of the best IPL figures in the last couple of seasons. I think Ashwin had done something similar mm. in a previous match. And uh, in, I think in the match versus Bangalore, if I'm not wrong, Ashwin had 15 for one in four mm-hmm. overs. That was the best previous uh, figures uh, by a spinner. And now, just now, in the a couple of days later, Santner topped him. So this is one thing. But when Chennai batted, I think they really again missed Dhoni's yeah. uh, you know, influence. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, Vijay held one in, one uh, one end of the innings together up well until the 12th uh, over or so. But, I mean, uh, there was no other big contributions right through in the top six, top seven. And then Bravo and Santner did their bit trying to revive the innings. But I think it was a bit too late. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of credit goes to, uh, again, another spinner here, uh, Krunal Pandya, who yeah. took, uh, you know, 7 for 2 in 3 overs, my goodness. Uh, and, two. of course, Bumrah, right? Yeah. 2 for 10 yeah. in 3 overs. And Krunal Pandya was not turning the ball as much as Santna was doing. But, yeah. you know, if you look at how Ambati Raidu was dis- uh, dismissed, for example, mm-hmm. it was basically an arm ball. Right. And he was right, playing right. for the spin, he, he played all around it. So he was right. uh, the the ball went through the gap between the bat and the pad. So it was also unfortunate to see him get out so soon. I think he got out for a duck. Um, so they had no stability in the middle order. I think they they lacked um, the presence of Dhoni, and I think it was hugely felt there in the field as well. Also, I think Faf's uh, beginning Faf yeah. used to provide solid beginnings, and I think they missed yeah. that as well, possibly. You know. No, all in all, a very enthralling uh, match yesterday. And this means, you know, uh, Mumbai have come to second now. Wow, right? that's... Uh, mm-hmm. So, as we were saying last week, probably the, those both are sort of more or less scheduled to take the top two position, right? Yeah. So, the rest of it uh, will be very interesting. I think... Uh, both bank- places, I think, still up for grabs. 
yes sportless is yeah. with you know uh, kolkata rajasthan and bangalore now on similar points or same number of points mm-hmm. uh, they 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 may actually not make it sunrises might take the fourth spot you know with delhi more or less certain to take third one it, it it's going to be interesting though but there is still an outside chance bangalore may make it i've said it here so they will not but uh, we never know <laughs> well it's okay it's okay All to right. jinx it yeah all right then now uh, going on with the world cup preview section uh, today we are going to review the new zealand team's chances at the upcoming world cup and joining us and helping us with this and giving us their expert analysis are the cricketers podcast so we have adam and rick from the cricketers podcast joining us hello guys welcome to the podcast thanks for having us on your podcast ajesh no problem hi thank you all right so uh, would you like to give us a quick introduction of what cricketers are and what you guys do yeah absolutely uh, so we're a, a podcast that operates out of new zealand so we've been going since around october 2017 uh, so we run our, our radio show uh, which then gets turned into a podcast from a community radio station in hamilton new zealand called free fm uh, and uh, basically the first part of our show was just to talk about cricket and as we've expanded on uh, we've got more into talking with uh, international and domestic players from new zealand a few weeks ago we spoke also with um, Gary Wilson who is the T20 captain for Ireland so our focus has kind of changed uh, a little bit uh, we we do look at cricket not only in New Zealand but also throughout the world as well uh, both massive cricket fans and and both been involved in cricket uh, in in terms of following and also covering for for the last few years all right all right I mean I think it'll be very nice that you guys have decided to join us and uh, you know give us the local perspective on the New Zealand team and the chances possibly. So uh, before we get to that I think let's take a quick look at New Zealand at the World Cups right. So New Zealand have a very proud cricketing tradition and uh, you know they have been a part of uh, all of the World Cups that have been played so far. For example you know if you look at uh, the, you've had the who's who of New Zealand cricket uh, Who, uh, that have represented new zealand through the world cups for example in the 1975 world cup they were led by glen turner right and then you had mark burgess in the 79 world cup and um, right from then on in the 83 you had uh, howarth then you had some you know 87 it was jeff crowe 92 it was martin crowe right and then um, of course then it was a, in the 1996 it was lee german i think it was a bit of a unexpected a new thing there but outside of that then the stephen fleming era began from 1990 to 2007 1999 those world cups it was um, stephen fleming and then of course uh, from 2011 it was uh, ross taylor and 2015 it was brendan mccallum uh, so you had a very proud cricketing tradition and of course when you look at the results itself um, new zealand uh, have played 79 matches so far at the world cups they have won 48 they have lost 30 and have, there has been one no result and of course i mean when it comes to results or no results and what not i think uh, the most disappointing match would have been the world cup final the 2015 world cup final uh, were you guys there probably adam rick did you get a chance to see this live uh, unfortunately didn't get to see it live uh, watched it on television and and like most kiwis when we watched that match uh, seeing mccullum out really early on it um, mm. 
you know, did deflate us a little bit. But so I thought on that match that New Zealand got themselves back into the, the match after losing some early wickets because Martin Guptill and Kane Williamson also both got out early. Mm-hmm. Ross Taylor put on a really good partnership with Grant Elliott. And, and, yeah. and we're actually looking at building a good title at that point. And then Ross Taylor was uh, caught behind a fantastic catch by Brad Haddon. And then from there, the wheels just completely fell off. And we, we didn't get a total that would even put pressure on Australia. And unfortunately, we were just we just didn't get enough runs on the board. And it was pretty much a game over. I To be honest with you, that match was so disappointing. I didn't even watch Australia back. Oh. Uh, I, as soon as it was over, as soon as our innings was over, I, I basically didn't watch it. I was that deflated. I, did, I knew that we didn't have enough. Even if we got early wickets, it was a it was a good batting pitch. A score of maybe two seventy plus would have put a bit of pressure on. And right. as I said, at one stage, you know, we were looking probably at possibly scraping to two fifty plus. I would have thought, um, mm. especially after the start we had, it was a really good recovery. But but our lower water just just wasn't able to to, to capitalise on on the partnership from Brian Elliott and Ross Taylor. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Corey Anderson, Luke Ronke and Vettori. I mean, they are Saudi even. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot there. Rick, what are your thoughts about the finals? Were you there? Were you seeing it or something? I, same as Adam. I watched it on TV. I did actually watch the Australia innings um, uh, as well. But uh, mm. I felt exactly the same as uh, Adam. At one stage, we were we were 150 for three um, after yeah. 30, 35 overs. And... Yeah. You know, I felt 250 to 270, if we could, uh, if we if we could keep wickets, uh, would be possible. And in the World Cup final, uh, that's not a bit, not a big score, but that might have been uh, might have been defendable. But right. uh, fortunately, as Adam says, the uh, wheels fell off uh, completely. Then, to be very fair, Australia did bowl very well um, throughout the uh, throughout the match. Mm. Um, but really, really, we lost the game. Um, I, th- I think in the f- in in the first half hour, it was it was always uphill um, f- from there. And uh, at the at the end of the day, uh, like Adam at half time, I, I knew we didn't have enough uh, runs uh, runs on the board. Um, of course, Trent Bolt did did actually manage to get um, Aaron Finch out in out in the second over, mm, but mm. Um, Australia consolidated after that and. Uh, Never really looked in looked in any trouble, unfortunately. So, uh, but of course, uh, a lot of people a lot of people will say if you're ever going to win a World Cup, you've you've actually got to lose a final first, and I think that applies to, applies to a lot of sports. Well, I mean, what would England say then, Rick? Um, about what? About losing a final and then maybe winning something. I mean, I'm 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 kidding. I'm pulling it. Yes. All yeah. Right. I mean. One anecdote that stays in my mind is what Brad Haddon had to say to Brendan McCullum, right? Uh, just when he went into bat, I think there was some sledging going on, and which is what that, that's how they do it in Australia. And I think he had something to say to Brendan McCullum about what uh, he would do. And I think uh, it was not anything unfriendly. It was just, uh, will you take this guy on, mate, or something? He made sure that Brendan McCullum was that much more turned on when Stark came in with the first over, I think. Losing your captain, Brendan McCullum, he was so talismanic. Losing him for a duck probably, you know, uh, made a big difference there to the top of that order because you had a lot of hitters. Well, Williamson could stabilize and Guptill could hit. Somehow losing McCullum for a duck in the first over probably sort of deflated also the team in the dressing room, you know, that happens. Yeah, yeah. I I, I agree with that. But then, you know, good sides recover. You know, if you look at the 1996 World Cup, Sri Lanka at Eden Gardens, another hostile environment, 
they ended up losing Jarrah and Kalawatharana within the first mm. over, and they were able to scrape through to 250 plus, and they won that that match against India, Eddie exactly. and Gardens. You know, exactly. So yeah, sure, you know we lost McCullum early, but McCullum played that way the whole tournament, and he was successful with that ultra aggressive approach, and I think he just went into that match with the same positive intent. Unfortunately. Uh, look, he, he got a really good delivery from Russell Stark, bowled at over 150 k's an hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was not unplayable, but in the first hour of a World Cup, that makes a big difference. You know, it is unfortunate. Anywho, uh, going on, if you were to look at some of the key performers for New Zealand over the years at World Cups, right? If you were to look at the batting, uh, I don't know, would you guys, have you guys already looked this up or would you guys like to take a look who's the most... Uh, you know who has made the most runs for New Zealand at World Cups? I haven't uh, had 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 a look, but just thinking about who's played in the World Cups and who's played the most World Cups, mm-hmm. I mean, Fleming would possibly be up there. I mean, he's played what the 1996 World Cup, 1999 World Cup, also played the 2003 World Cup from memory. 2007. Yeah. Uh, Ross Taylor's played a few World Cups now, so mm-hmm. he would be up there. Um, yeah. Scott Styrus yeah. would be a bit of a smoky. Uh, for someone that's uh, scored heavily in World Cups. I mean, he's got mm-hmm. a very good average over World Cups. I remember an in- innings that he played against Sri Lanka in the 2003 World Cup on a uh-huh. turning deck, uh, and he played a fantastic innings. And he was always a really underrated player uh, for New Zealand. Uh, I-, I would say that I'd be up there. Uh, yeah. Glenn Turner was another one uh, back mm-hmm. in the 80s. Fantastic opening batsman. Uh, scored a-, a big score against um, East Africa. Uh, yeah. So he w- he'd-, he'd be up there, I'm sure. All right. I mean, you've you've got more or less the top ten. I mean, you, uh, for me, Scott Styris was a you know a bolter there. I did not expect. So Fleming is the top most run scorer, 1,075 runs, average 35. Right, you're right, 33 matches there. Scott Styris is the second most run scorer, 909. He's ahead of Martin Grove, Martin Guptill, Brendan McCullum, who would be the top five. Right. Yep. Uh, Taylor is number six. So it's very interesting. Uh, Glenn Turner, as you said, is number seven. Then you have Keynes, Macmillan, and Toos who will round up the top ten, right? Yeah, yeah. I think what I think what will be interesting um, from a statistical point of view is that Martin Guptill's played two World Cups. He's coming into his third, mm. uh, whereas Ross Taylor's coming into his fourth. Martin Guptill has got 809 runs in three World Cups, and Stephen Fleming um, 1,075. So you would expect that Martin Guptill. Um, could well become our uh, leading ever uh, run scorer in World Cups uh, by the end of the tournament. He will, absolutely. He will, he will. I mean, all he needs is one big hundred, and then the rest will come easily, right? Yeah, and, and you have Martin, nine matches. Martin yeah, Martin Guptill averages uh, uh, 57 in World Cups, so um, he, he has he has done very well in the two World Cups he's he's played in. Uh, we very much need him to uh, perf- uh, perform well, of course, in this one. I think and I think he, it also shows how good Stephen Fleming was because you know he was always good in World Cups and you think about the the 1999, 2003, and 2007 World Cups when New Zealand did extremely well, uh, and and in particular with with Stephen Fleming uh, in 2003 against South Africa at the Wanderers played probably uh, well, one of New Zealand's greatest ever one day innings uh, and he really led that side and, and was a really golden period for New Zealand where in 1999 we made the semi finals. Uh, 2003, we made the semi-finals as well before being knocked out by Australia when we had them on the ropes. Uh, and then again in, in 2007, uh, again we made semi-finals before we were knocked out by, by Sri Lanka. 
Uh, we had a really good series leading up to that semi-final against Australia where we beat them 3-0 at home. So, you know, there was that period where we were very strong in one-day cricket. Guys like Chris Cairns was, was in the mix. Uh, Shane Bond was around in that period as well. Jacob Warham. Uh, mm-hmm. So New Zealand had, 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 a, had a really good core of uh, really good all-rounders and, and, and yeah. some dynamic batsmen at the top. Well led by Stephen Fleming, who was really innovative with his captaincy. Pretty much. I mean, uh, for me, New Zealand is always a team who's always punched well above their weight, right? And they've always shown that at the World Cups by making consistently either the knockouts or the semi-finals or sometimes even the finals, as you said, right? It's fantastic. Now, if you were to look at the bowlers, so uh, would either of you like to take a guess who's the most successful bowler for New Zealand if you've not already I'll, seen I'll, it? I'm going I'm to look at it and I'm going to think about who's played again the most World Cups. So I'm looking for probably Vittori. So mm-hmm. he would have played 99, 2003, 2007, 2011, uh-huh. 2015. So Pretty I'm going to say Daniel Vittori. Very, very close. And uh, Rick, I guess, or did you already see it? Um, well, I've got it in front. I've got it in front in front of me. But to be perfectly honest, I, I would have guessed uh, uh, Daniel Vittori. Um, I must admit, I wouldn't have guessed that Jacob Oram um, exactly. has also got has also got thirty six wickets in, uh, in in World Cups. And I didn't. Re- I also didn't realise that uh, Tim Southey in two World Cups has got thirty three. So uh, yes, yes, yeah, that surprised me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Tim Southey has always been a very key performer in the big tournaments for New Zealand. You know, and I think he's shown that here. And also, if you look at uh, the top five, there's one more bolter there, Chris Harris. There's, nobody would expect Chris Harris, 28 matches, 32 wickets. So the top two are, well, Oram and Vettori tied at 36 each. Then you have Saudi at 33. And then Harris at 32. Bond at 30, Shane Bond. And Trent Bolt, with just nine matches, he has 22 wickets. He's on number five, number yeah. six. Right? Hadley comes after that. All the big guys come after that. Right? It's, it's very interesting. So, uh, but nonetheless, I mean, um, going into this World Cup, I think Saudi will still be very, very important. The opening bowl, uh, bowling pair, you know, Saudi bolt. I think they're very talismanic for you guys. And I am really hoping, you know, because they have, a, a, I think half their matches are early morning starts, 10.30 starts. The other half are the afternoon starts. I think they'll be able to exploit something that is in the air, the swing. I think uh, Saudi and uh, bolt would be very, very crucial. What do you guys think? Yeah, look, I, I think that, Trent Bolt now is, is one of the leading bowlers in, in world cricket in all formats, whether it's mm-hmm. one-day cricket, whether it's test cricket. And if he, you know, if he ever plays T20, you know, he's an outstanding player. So he, he's been the linchpin of the Black Cap side since the 2015 World Cup in one-day matches. What's quite interesting about Trent Bolt is going into the 2015 World Cup, he wasn't even the first-choice opening left-arm bowler. You know, that was Mitchell mm-hmm. McLenaghan. Exactly. Trent Bolt was given his opportunity in the 2015 World Cup, and as we know, he performed extremely well. And remember that spell at Eden Park, Australia were were doing extremely well uh, with Warner and Finch at the top of the order. Daniel Vittori got a, a vital breakthrough. I think it was um, was it Warner from 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 memory, uh, and then Trent Bolt in the, in that middle stage completely ripped Australia apart. Um, so yeah. he he has been the linchpin over the last few years. In terms of bowlers for New Zealand, I'd say he's now the next best behind. Sir Richard Hadley, he's, he's taken his, his game to another level. He's going to be really, really important. Now, Tim Southey, for me, is a really interesting one. Now, Tim Southey, since the 2015 World Cup, hasn't really been setting the world on fire in one-day cricket. His test form has been very good. But in terms of the white ball stuff, look, he's averaging you know well over 40 in ODI cricket as an mm. ODI bowler. 
Mm. Uh, he struggled a bit last season. Look, he got a, a six-wicket bag against Bangladesh, so he got himself back into some form in the one-day game, albeit against Bangladesh. But look, it's got to be some big pressure on, on Tim Sally, um, I think, to retain his spot in the side. Uh, Matt Henry uh, is a similar bowler. Uh, mm. Got bowl, similar pace. Matt Henry is probably you know, a few Ks faster, you know, right. five Ks, and has a, a higher ceiling in terms of pace. But he does swing the ball as well, like Tim Salvey. He's got a fantastic one-day record. So I think uh, you know Matt Henry could be really pushing the door down um, to get that opening slot with Trent Bolt. I can understand. I can understand. So let's get into the squad right away. So we are discussing the fast bowlers. Let's go one step further. How about Lockie Ferguson, Rick, maybe? Or uh, Adam? How about yeah. this? Yeah. Well, look. Well, first of all, just to add, uh, add a footnote, I agree with Adam on um, the Henry and Salvi situation. Salvi, unfortunately, has averaged 48 with the ball since the 2015 World Cup. But, of course, in the, in the last game uh, that he played, he actually managed uh, managed six wickets. So maybe uh, uh, maybe he's going to do what he has done in the past and turned up and uh, turn up and bowl really well in the World Cup. He, he averages 23 in, um, in the two World Cups he's played in. So mm. we hope for to that. But I, I suspect that Matt Henry is actually going to uh, play the first game. He seems to be ahead in the, uh, the pecking order. Lockie, Lockie Ferguson, um, I believe, is a, is a massive talent for uh, for New Zealand. And uh, he he's he's very much a, a dark horse. I don't think he's really that that well known inter- internationally. He, um, he, came, he came onto the scene uh, and he bowls, bowls around uh, around 150. But yeah. what he has done in the last uh, last year or two, uh, two is he's added a lot of variety to his uh, to his bowling. He's got now got a very well disguised slower ball. Um, he's quite a reasonable bowl, uh, bowler to death. And certainly mm. from New, uh, from the point of view of New Zealand, uh, Zealand's chances, it's critical that Lockie Ferguson takes some wickets in the middle order, uh, middle overs. Sorry. Right, right, right. Adam, anything to add? Yeah, a- absolutely. Lockie Ferguson's just come on in the last couple of years. And as Rick points out, he's got, he's got a lot of variations. He's, he's not just a 150K-plus bowler. And he, and he can't be in this day and age in one-day cricket. You've got to be able to, to mix it up and bowl at different stages. I think with Lockie Ferguson, he's got a fantastic Yorker. I um, mean, he showed that uh, bowling star one in one of those T20 matches uh, last season. Uh, got a great bounce. I just remember the T20 match. Uh, can't remember who it was. Uh, but again, got by one of the Indian batsmen. I can't remember who it was with, with, with a vicious bouncer. Uh, mm-hmm. He showed his variety as well um, against Sri Lanka. Uh, there was a stage where um, Kushal Pereira was batting, and, and Sri Lanka were, were a little bit behind the eight ball, but they, they were still in the match. And, and there was over that Lockie Ferguson bowled to Pereira, bowled these couple of slower ball bounces that hit Pereira in the ribs, uh, and then followed it up with a bouncer and, and, and got a wicket. And it just kind of showed you for me the development of Lockie Ferguson over the last few years, um, he he's actually was more of a of a first-class bowler, in my opinion, than a, than a list A performer. Uh, he's got right. a very good first-class record. Um, his list A record is, isn't too bad, uh, but he was you know rushed into the side, I think, with Adam Milne um, being injured. And uh, mm. the Black Cats really needed a fast bowler, an enforcer in that, in that middle stage. Um, with Adam Milne being injured, it kind of opened up a bit of a spot for... Uh, for Lockie Ferguson, Lockie Ferguson is is, is really taking it uh, with both hands. Lockie Ferguson's got a really good record at the moment. He he, he bowled extremely well in, in Pakistan or against Pakistan in the UAE on some of those black decks. He got a, he got a five for over there. 
his record mm. against some of the bigger nations isn't as good as it is against you know some of the middle middle tier nations. Um, that's yeah. probably my only concern. Uh, albeit he's still inexperienced, uh, he had a, a rough time against Australia in his, in his first couple of one day matches. I remember his first match, he was he bowled extremely quick, uh, got David Warner out, but on that occasion he did go for a lot of runs. Um, mm. But he has, I think, developed a lot since then. Um, so I'm really interested to see how he goes against you know the Australian, South Africa, um, India as well in the World Cup. I mean, I'm always astonished at the number of stats you can recall, Adam, right at the top of your head. Fantastic. Anyway, I mean, yes, I think he would add this, you know, this extra pace dimension to this attack. You know, Saudi bowls more or less medium fast, but uh, Bolt is more like fast medium, right? But this guy is properly fast. So uh, him and I think Henry is also, you know, fast medium as well. So this guy is like, uh, he adds that additional dimension. And I think they would do well to use him sort of as a, you know, a rapier or a, you know, a thrusting weapon rather than as a mace or something. So uh, occasionally they would, he would not probably bowl all the overs, but he would bowl less number of overs and he would probably cause uh, more impact. He would look to get take wickets or as you say, as Rick mentioned, you know, get wickets in the middle overs possibly, right? So uh, how about the um, backup all-rounders? You have Colin de home, you have Colin Munro and you have Jimmy Neesham. Jimmy Neesham brought himself back into the mix as well. Oh, do you think uh, two of these three will play? Only one of these three will get to play? What do, what do you think on a given day? I think that we'll end up playing two all-rounders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's the, the gut feel. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure whether Colin Munro probably fits in the all-rounder category. I know Rick has probably different thoughts to me on that. Uh, you know, Colin Munro averages over 50 in one-day cricket, so I'm not sure you can really classify him as like a, a genuine all-rounder. Um, look, mm. Jimmy Nation had a, a great, great season uh, last year, uh, or last season in our, in our um, home summer. Came back against Sri Lanka. I remember that innings uh, at the Mount where he played a fantastic innings. In it. And if he would have had a few more balls left, I'm sure he would have broken the, the world record for the fastest 50 in ODI cricket. He was striking the ball superbly well. A season or so ago, he was dropped from the Black Caps after a Disney Champions Trophy. Mm-hmm. And then he was also dropped from the Otago side at one point. But he moved to Wellington, and it's really revitalised his career. And he seems like a guy that's uh, in confident form. His batting's always been very good. Uh, he's a technically proficient batsman. A series against Australia, he proved that he could play up the order against the quality Australian attack. And he, and he batted well against him. He batted well against South Africa in a series um, preceding um, that series in Australia. Uh, we know how technically good he is with the bat uh, against uh, India. He got his made in one day, uh, sorry, his made in Test Century a few years ago when he batted with, with Brendan McCullum. Got another mm-hmm. Test Century in the West Indies. Uh, look, he's, he's, a, he's a quality batsman. His bowling has been a little bit of an issue. He tends to fall away a little bit, which means the ball angles down the leg side uh, yeah. and he can really lose his rhythm. Um, he's been using the death of the black caps unsuccessfully in the past. Um, uh, you know, Marcus Storn has got after him when Marcus Thorne has played that incredible innings, uh, you know, a few seasons back for Australia. Right. So that, that's been pretty much his weakness. Uh, I think his bowling has come on. He's been bowling a lot quicker. He's actually surprisingly fast. Like, he can bowl 140-plus on a good yeah. day when, he, when his rhythm is right. He's a, he's actually a very big big lad when you, when you actually see him. Um, mm. He's got a six-foot-three, and he's, a, he's solidly built as well. Uh, yeah. So he's going to be a, a vital component for the Black Caps. I think with Corey Anderson as well uh, being out of the frame, 
Whitecaps have really been searching for an all-rounder. Uh, Doug Bracewell was another one that was that was in and around, but he's more at this stage probably more of a bowling all-rounder, where Jimmy Neesham, yeah. I would suggest, is, is the batting all-rounder. So, yeah. Rick, calling the grand home, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, just uh, just to add a little bit a uh, bit to that, I, I think uh, one of the strengths, uh, as you pointed out uh, out earlier, um, over the years is New Zealand um, have had some very good all um, all rounders in the past. Now, um, if you compare the three options to uh, we had Grant Elliott, um, Corey Anderson, and Dan Vittori mm-hmm. uh, as the three all uh, rounders in the last World Cup, and they and they all did uh, all did pretty well. I think I think. Um, it is going to be a critical area in terms of whether New Zealand can actually make the semi-finals again. How the um, how the all-rounders do, and I include in that Mitchell Santner as, if you like, the, the Daniel uh, Vittori replacement. And I I'm I'm certain we will play two of uh, Nisham, uh, De Grandhomme, and Munro in the um, in the all-rounder slots. I um, I have the same concerns as Adam that. Um, Particularly in English English conditions, uh, those bowlers could be hit a little bit. Uh, none of them are really that. Uh, that, that uh, sorry, Mitchell Santner is okay on the bowling front, uh, quite tidy, but um, are all three of the um, quicker bowler all ra- all rounders are have not got that great a great an economy uh, economy rate. I agree. I agree with Adam. Uh, Jimmy Neesham is a little bit hit, uh, hit and miss. It depends on whether his uh, rhythm is working well on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin Monroe is a bit of a dibbly dobbly uh, bowler, um, right. which on the right pitch in England uh, could mm-hmm. be successful, but on a on a flat deck, um, he um, he could be hammered. And Colin Colin de Grandhomme um, could well be ta- uh, taken apart on uh, on a good wicket in England. So that's mm-hmm. my concern. My concern there. So you would say maybe um, both of you. I don't know. So. Uh, Colin Munro and Jimmy Nisham are the starting all-rounders rather than Colin de Grandhomme and somebody else. For me, um, Colin de Grandhomme adds a bit more with the ball than I think either of these two because he can also swing the ball. He usually takes the ball first change also for New Zealand in tests. So I thought with the England, uh, some of the matches starting earlier, maybe they will use him as a sort of a holding bowler because you have two new balls in one day. right? So maybe he can give you that swing perspective as well. But I, I don't know what you guys think of that. Yeah, look, I, I, I think Colin de Grandhomme will, to, like, if you compare him to Colin Munro, for example, they've both got pretty similar records as batsmen, like when you actually break it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, it, it's, it, you're right, it's where Colin de Grandhomme is, is at, at the moment is a better bowler, and as you point out, he's bowled, and he's actually opened the bowling for New Zealand in Test cricket, and he can do that, you know, that, that, that seamer role, that, that first change seamer role, um, but I guess it depends on the on the pitches in England, and, and that's going to be a big question. Are they going to be flat? Are the, is the ball going to move around? Um, those types of things. So mm. you're right. If the ball does start to move around, then Colin de Grandhomme could be really handy in England. If if the ball doesn't move around, I think his lack of variations could make him cannon fodder for some of the, the bigger nations. Yeah. Great. Right. So, uh, now, uh, let's look at the spinners, though. You have Ish Sodhi and Santner. Do you think uh, both will start, or one of them may start, given the pitch? Or? I, I think in, in an ideal world, I think it'll just be the one spinner. So, if, I mean, if it's a you know, pitch suited more to, obviously, seamers, you go on with the one spinner only. Also, Mitchell Santner is, is, a, is a good 
was improved his batting. Um, you know, the series against England last year, he played a couple of vital knocks for the Black Caps, including a match-winning one at Seddon Park. Um, and he's actually been performing quite well in the IPL. He was injured at the start of this season. It's taken him a, a little while to get into rhythm. He's always been a really tidy bowler in, in the one-day game. Not as big a wicket-taker. So that would be, the, the, I guess, the question mark about, about Mitchell mm. Sanna. We know he's tidy. Uh, like he's only going for you know around five runs and over. And modern one-day cricket, that's absolutely incredible. But it's just his wicket-taking ability. And you compare that with someone like Isodi, who has the ability to take wickets in, in the one-day game. We've shown that in, in T20 cricket as well. He's more of a wicket-taking bowler. But he is more prone to bowling the loose delivery. So... You know, it depends on whether the Black Caps want to go all out attack or or they want someone that's just going to keep it tight while you've got Lockie Ferguson attacking, you've mm. got uh, Trent Bolt attacking, and also you've got uh, either Henry or Salvi up front attacking as well. Right, right. Uh, any spinner you think missed out? Maybe Todd Astle or anybody else who may have missed out on this team that Shodhi was chosen ahead of, or maybe Santa was a late inclusion, right? He was back from injury only towards the back end of the New Zealand's, uh, you know, a season. I, I think I think no I think uh, New Zealand have picked the right two spinners. Um, it did appear uh, quite likely that Todd Astle was going to get the second uh, spinner uh, spinner slot, but um, I, t- I totally agree with uh, t- with taking uh, taking Isodi uh, because it's very important for New Zealand to have an attacking option, um, a second person mm. in addition to Lockie Ferguson who can take wickets in the um, in the middle overs um, on on. Pitches uh, with with the right condition uh, conditions for him, so I, I think it's very uh, it's very important to have that uh, player available in the squad. I I personally uh, would normally play two uh, two spinners in England. That would be my view, but I don't think that's what the Black Caps are going to do. I, I think that, um, if we take the round robin stage, I would be surprised if he solely plays more than two or two or three of the games. Uh, uh, games sadly. Right, 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 right. Okay. Uh, I mean, um, also, uh, anybody else you think in the lineup who can bowl spin uh, to back these two up by any chance? I, I, the, you have a bunch of, you know, fast bowling all-rounders and also people who can well, chip in. The, the one that comes to mind is Kane Williamson. And we actually asked Kane Williamson this question um, and he mentioned to us if the pitch would suit. He, he's prepared to bowl. So I think with Kane Williamson, He's been reluctant to bowl himself, and possibly that's just due to the fact that he's now the captain of the side. Uh, also, a few years ago, he did have some issues with his bowling action, and since then, he, he just hasn't bowled as much in, in, in international cricket. Um, he played, uh, a, 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 bowled an extremely uh, important spell against Australia a few years ago in the Chapel Hadley series in Hamilton and, and got some vital wickets on that occasion. So he, he, he has proven mm. that he can uh, be a bit of a golden arm, It'd be great to see him used as an option more. I think it would give the Black Caps a, a bit of balance, even if he you know bowled two or three overs just just to break it up a little bit because he he can he can get vital wickets. And I know Rick is a bit of a fan of him as a bowler. Mhm. I see. I, 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 absolutely, absolutely, Adam. I mean, if uh, if if we go back, Kane Williamson's last uh, season playing for Northern Districts before he got promoted to the uh, Black Caps when he was. Uh, he was 19. He was actually batting number three, and he was also the number one spinner for uh, for Northern uh, Northern Districts at, uh, wow. at a start level. Okay. And had had a very a very good season. He seems he seems to um, 
you know, since he had to go away and work, <clears throat> have a year off and work in, at his action, he see, um, he seems to have lost confidence, confidence a little bit um, uh, in in his bowling. It would be a, a big plus for the Black Caps um, if he does actually bowl uh, bowl a few overs. But uh, I think there's only been two uh, white ball matches. Um, in the last season, where Kane Williamson has, t- has turned his um, arm over, and I think he b- might have bowled one over in Test, mm. so it, it doesn't it doesn't look that likely. But I, abso- I absolutely agree with you that um, if that was a genuine option, and somebody somebody who in the right conditions would would always bowl at least two or three overs, as Adam says, it would very much add to the balance uh, balance of the side. Uh, it is a weakness that the um, he's the only uh, person in the in, in the top five. Um, who can actually bowl and very rarely and very rarely does. Uh, well, I, I think you got that right. A little bit of a balance would be provided. On, also on a pitch that you sort of measure it possibly, where you know a bit more spin is available, you would be able to exploit it if one of your top order would also be able to you know chip in with a few overs. But nonetheless, I think the balance looks very good from the bowling perspective. So. When it com- comes to keepers, you have, uh, you know, Blundell and, uh, of course, uh, Latham. So, let's say Latham is the starting keeper? Yep. Yeah, like, like, it's it's been very, very clear that uh, that Latham will keep in all the games and Blundell is very much uh, there um, just as an emergency backup if uh, Latham is injured. Um, Obviously, I mean, if Latham is not injured, I don't expect Blundell to play any games in, in the World Cup. Yeah, okay. I'm, 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 with, I'm with you, Rick. I, don't, I, don't, I can't see Blundell getting a game unless Tom Latham's injured. Right. Did, uh, did we have another keeper, uh, Tim Seifert, by the way? Uh, do you think he lost out? Uh, he was unlucky to miss out on this uh, in this uh, squad? Because he had a good T20 uh, series uh, against India the last time round, you know, in your summer. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a funny one because Tom Blundell's kind of come from nowhere, really. Um, like he wasn't even in the in the in the Black Caps environment over the summer. Uh, didn't play a match, and also, you know, he didn't play a, a one-day match or let's say match for Wellington. Now, domestic competition, and didn't have a great uh, Super Smash uh, campaign as well. Uh, so for me, many of us, it was like, oh, how has he managed to make the, the Black Caps uh, World Cup side over Tim Seifert, who, as you point out, yeah, played some, some handy innings uh, for the Black Caps over the season. Look, I think it just came down to keeping Okay. at the end of the day. Uh, I think what they would have said is, look, we want our backup keeper to be a proficient keeper. Uh, they obviously ex- expect that uh, Latham will play all matches unless injured, and they want a replacement that is a specialist wicket keeper and who they believe can do the job behind the gloves. I don't think they've seen batting as being quite as important because if, say, Blunder was to come in the side, Blunder would possibly bat you know, six, seven or eight. Um, so it's all about the, the keeping. Uh, but I definitely understand um, you know, a lot of people were uh, very supportive of Tim Cyphers and, and, and expected him to be in the side. But I think at, at the end of it, it came down to to keeping, I mean, BJ Watling was another one that has been mentioned as a potential backup keeper. But when you actually look at BJ Watling's ODI career, look, he's he's averaging in the twenties with a strike rate of sixty-eight. And BJ Watling, if he was going to be in the side, 
you know, and batting at number six or seven, you know, is he a guy that's going to clear the rope? Because you need a guy that's, a, you know, a, a good striker of the ball down in that position. And I think that's where they felt that Tom Blund will probably have the edge over BJ, and that's why he got he got the nod as the backup keeper. Right, right. Interestingly, yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, um, comparing this with uh, what India have done with their squad, because we uh, uh, we also saw their squad announced a few days ago. India have gone for Dinesh Karthik uh, instead of Rishabh Pant, and we, Rishabh Pant is more of an explosive batsman towards the end. But he, I think, at that point in time, he didn't have the finishing skills uh, with his bat. Um, but comparing, uh, you know. Um, New Zealand squad and Indian squad. So, like you said, um, Indian uh, team has uh, basically gone for uh, one specialist keeper in Dhoni and a backup uh, because Dinesh Karthik was in, in fact told that he would be just you know, added to the squad as a backup keeper and not as a keep, wicket keeper batsman. So it's probably on the uh, on similar lines that you know New Zealand have gone for Tom Blundell um, as a specialist keeper uh, for backup for backup. It, it, we also need to remember that in the 2015 World Cup, the Black Caps only used, what was it, 13 players. Right. So, you know, realistically, you know, do you need to have... Sorry, your phone's ringing. I mean, do you really realistically need to have a squad of 15? Yeah, indeed, yeah. That's that, right. that you expect that are all going to play. I mean, you've only got 13 that, that are realistically going to play all matches, and, and, and basically your 14 and 15th player is a mm-hmm. spare parts. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to consider, I mean, you have to admire Pakistan, for example. They haven't gone with uh, any backup keeper. They've just gone with a captain, wicketkeeper, batsman, uh, Sarfras, and he's just a captain as well. So what if he breaks down? So they don't have a backup there. So maybe uh, the backup keeper will not be used at all. Um, So, yeah. I think it's it's uh, it's interesting that some teams have gone with a backup keeper and some have not. We'll see how it all goes in the end. Well, one small addition. I think for Pakistan, uh, the Abid Ali, who's a backup opener, can also be a backup keeper, it looks like. Well, he's not a specialist keeper, is he? No, I think he's sort of a yeah makeshift. Yeah, some, some teams have gone with one specialist keeper and then a specialist backup keeper. Right. Um, of course, uh, of course. I, I guess with India, I mean, Kartik is a pretty handy wicketkeeper. Um, he's pretty proficient behind the stumps, and he can play in that kind of finisher role as well. I mean, you look at the Australian side. Look, they they've only gone with the one specialist keeper. You know, mm. look what happens if you know Kerry gets injured early on in the tournament. You know, then what happens? You know, you know, pulls a yeah. hamstring or something. Um, at that point, you can't just uh, let him rest for a couple of weeks and get him fit for the later stages of the tournament, Yeah, you're basically going to have to make a replacement or you're going to have to use maybe Aaron Finch or the other name of been, um, that has been bandied around is, is David Warner. But would you want an Aaron Finch or a David Warner wicket-keeping in an important match waiting for Kerry to get fit? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, good point. I think even South Africa have a similar uh, conundrum. I think call, um, I think David Miller is the designated backup keeper to Quinton de Kock, right? Mm-hmm. But can you keep for 50 overs and then also come out to bat with a yeah, with yeah. a fresh back? Let's say um, it's 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 uh, it's interesting uh, team compositions. Well, I mean, as you put it uh, earlier, uh, you know, uh, most teams are looking to 
probably you know go through the entire world cup with one keeper it's 11 12 matches you know it's possible and there's enough breaks in between so to say so at least that's the point many teams have but some teams like india or new zealand have gone for a proper backup keeper as well somebody in case need be is a full gloveman rather than a makeshift one right now uh, going on with the batters adam do you see uh, i don't know uh, would uh, colin munro open or would maybe uh, nichols open with capital uh, do you think Well, well uh, now this is going to be a, a bit, big talking point. Now, in the, in the last series against Bangladesh, Henry Nichols was was given the opening slot with Martin Guptill. Uh, Colin Munro was brought in for the third match against Bangladesh, and he failed, unfortunately, for Colin Munro. So, to be honest, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I really don't know which way they're going to go. At, at this point, I'd, I'd, if, if, you're gonna, if you ask me to, to make a... decision on the spot i would say they'll probably go on with henry nichols mm. uh, and it, yeah i think um i i agree i agree with adam i i, I think um what's been flying around in the press in, press in uh in new zealand is that it's been made fairly clear to colin monroe that his uh, role in the squad is as backup batsman and backup all-rounder uh, my, my own personal opinion he's actually more likely to play in the middle order um, as an, as an all-rounder um i think that we will certainly start with uh, with nickel's opening in the world cup it's not an ideal situation he's only had a couple of game uh, games opening uh, but mm. but re- but really munro has uh, has failed um for a couple for a couple of years uh, years in that that position and i think as long as uh, nickel's does at least moderately well i would expect him to open throughout the round robin stage Right, right. I mean, Kane Williamson at three is probably unshakable there. And probably Roscoe, Ross Taylor immediately after him. Yep. But then who else will make up the rest of the middle order, you guys think? Uh, I well, think. No, you go, Rick. Well, basically, Guptill will open with Nichols. Uh, it will be uh, Williamson at three, Taylor at uh, four, and uh, and Latham at five. And then we get, in, uh, get into the all-rounders. That's been a... Um, with the exception of this opening position that we just discussed, that's been a very settled format for a couple of years. Um, I wouldn't expect any changes, Adam, to that, would you? No, no, I, I think that'll be the side. I think you're looking probably number six, Jimmy Neesham, number seven, Colin de Gromholm, number eight, Mitchell Santner, uh, nine, Lockie Ferguson, and then you've got Bolt and Saldi or Henry. For me, that's mm-hmm. kind of the makeup. If you bring in another spinner now, this is when it gets quite interesting. Right. Who who goes out? So if, if they decide to play Mitchell Santner and they decide to play as Sodi, how do you accommodate Sodi in the side? And 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 you can see how that kind of changes the balance of the side. So if you bring in Sodi, do you drop a bowler, or I'm talking about a Ferguson or a, maybe a Henry or a Saldi, or do you then look at Nisham or De Gromholm? And, and this is where it's going to be really interesting. I, I think Lockie Ferguson at this stage of his career is more suited to bowling in the middle stages, which means he, he covers that role. So you, you can't really take him out of the equation for me because you do need that enforcer in the middle. I don't think you can take another seamer out. Uh, so, you know, if you do take another seamer out, it does lighten up the bowling a little bit, which means then, though, you'd have to take out either... De Gromholm or Jimmy Neesham, and that really weakens the batting a little bit. That means that Mitchell Satin has to bat number seven. So it does 
change the mm. balance of the side if, if you bring a sodium there. Right. Yeah, I, th- right. I, I think just to add to that, Adam, um, I think it's pretty clear if, if Isodi does play, <coughs> they will actually leave out uh, one of the bowlers because I can't uh, see us not having um, all round us at six, uh, six, seven, and eight. I, I can't see them wanting to weaken the uh, uh, batting lineup. So it really leaves a situation where um, you would imagine at the moment Bolt and Ferguson are the two uh, quick bowlers certain to play. Um, Along, along with uh, Mitchell Sandner and then the all-rounder sharing uh, the fifth bowl, uh, bowling slot. And depending on conditions, it will it will be either Henry or Southey um, mm. as a quick bowler or Isodi as a as a, as a second a second spinner. It uh, it does then make it uh, interesting who will actually open um, open the bowling because uh, it quite possibly would not be uh, Lockie Ferguson. Uh, with Bolt, it, it might it might well be Mitchell Santner or um, Colin de Grandholm opening opening a bowling, and that that's and I think Adam has just explained very very well uh, why I was saying earlier I don't think Isodi is going to play uh, play that many uh, many games because um, I think the select the the captain and coach will need to be convinced that um, the second spinner at an expense of one of one of the um, opening bowlers. Um, is is a good ploy, and that's probably not going to apply to most of the pitches in England. Fact. Mitchell Santner did bat well at number seven against England last year. Yeah. So if he did bat it up the order, I'm sure he he can do the job. But it does make that batting order look a little bit light. It really puts a lot of lot of pressure then on our top order to deliver. And then when you're talking about the hitting power down the order then a lot of that will be up to Nisham and Santa to deliver. That, that's my only concern. Right. Uh, then you've got, obviously, Sodi coming at number eight, and then you've got the three bowlers. So, look, it'll be an interesting decision whether uh, Sodi comes in for a, for a front-line seamer or do they take out one of the all-rounders. I guess it all depends on form during the tournament. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Some very interesting points there. And I think we've, we've gone through the squad in a very exhaustive manner. Thanks to both of you guys. Right. Uh, let's look at let's look at the matches of New Zealand uh, quickly. I'll give the itinerary of New Zealand. And maybe if Adam and then Rick, you guys could give us your predictions. Right. The number of matches you think they'll win or rather which one they'd lose easily. And then how many matches they would end up with at the end of the group stage. Right. So if you look at their entire itinerary, they start off against Sri Lanka on the 1st of June at uh, the Cardiff Vale Stadium. Then they play on the 5th at the Oval versus Bangladesh. This is uh, a midday game, right? And then, again, another midday game is on the 8th versus Afghanistan. Uh, Let me just go through the entire itinerary. Then maybe you guys can tell me which are the matches that they expect to win and then lose. So then you have, of course, um, Trent Bridge against India on the 13th. It's an early morning start. Then Edge Boston on the 19th, uh, where they play South Africa. Uh, this is also an early morning start. In the midday start is uh, against West Indies at Old Trafford on the 22nd. 26th, you have Edge Baston versus Pakistan, which is an early morning start. Lords midday. And then, of course, you have the last match, which is uh, against England. Right. Also, on the 29th, they play Australia. Of course, I forgot to say that. So these are, let's say, the matches that they play. I'm curious if how do you guys think they do? They'll do. Ah, so maybe Adam, you could you could go first, then Rick. 
Okay. Well, look, that's a really interesting start to the tournament um, that you've just uh, you've just pointed out. You know, we've got uh, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, and Afghanistan in the first three matches. I'm not sure that that's the the the, the best start for the Black Caps in a way to have three teams. Uh, without being disrespectful, that the Black Caps should should win uh, against and, and mm-hmm. win reasonably well. Right. I would have thought. I mean, I can see us beating Sri Lanka. Obviously, there's been a, a few issues within the Sri Lankan camp. A few players not selected for their World Cup squad. We creamed them in the series in New Zealand uh, recently. Uh, Bangladesh, again, likewise. Uh, Afghanistan are always uh, an interesting prospect. They've come on. Uh, leaps and bounds since the 2015 World Cup. We know how good uh, Rashid Khan is, but I think we just have too much quality, uh, even though they, they, they could possibly uh, compete at various stages in the match against us. I think we'll, we'll win that. And we're generally a very consistent side, and we, we tend not to lose matches against those, those minnows. Um, so I think we'll start the, the tournament uh, 3-0. and uh, So who's the next game against? India? Uh, India? The fourth one is India, yes. India is interesting. Uh, again, we were we were hammered uh, by India in the series at at home. Uh, interesting thing uh, with the Indian side is that we haven't played India in a World Cup match since 2003. So it's been a long time between drinks. Uh, they're going to be a massive challenge for for us. Obviously, uh, they beat us 4-1 at home. We we played well in, in that match at Seton Park. Uh, India were without Virat Kohli on that day. Uh, the pitch was moving around a bit, and Trent Bolt got some great assistance and, and was able to really rip through the Indian top order. Uh, on form, you'd say India will win that match. Uh, mm-hmm. The next match is... Versus uh, South Africa at Edge Boston, early morning start. Yeah, see, this is going to be a really interesting match for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I think South Africa are going under the radar a little bit. Uh, usually they are pre-tournament favourites or right up there. Uh, but this time around, there hasn't been much talk about South Africa. And you look at that South African side, they still have quality players. You think of Amler, think of Dukok, Faf Duplessis, who is underrated, in my opinion, in the one-day game. Um, fantastic in the middle stages. David Miller, we know how destructive um, he is. Um, mm. Germany's been a bit of a thorn in the New Zealand side over the last uh, you know few years, and probably mm-hmm. going back a decade. Uh you're looking at, at the bowlers, Rabada. I mean, look, he's been in incredible form in the IPL. Dale Stain, we don't know whether he's going to be fit for the World Cup. I think I think he should be right from some of the reports I've read. Uh, but he's he bowled well in, in the few IPL matches that he played. He's bowling with great pace. Imran Tahir, he's got a great record. So hmm. they've still got some really good quality players. I, I think it's going to be a really, really interesting match, actually. And I think this, this match could end up deciding who actually gets the fourth semi-final spot. Because even though right. South Africa don't have A.B. de Villiers, they still have quality players. Uh, and and that, that bowling line, it really worries me. They can go through any side in the world. And they and they, they blitzed Australia uh, before Christmas, didn't they? Um, that, there was that match in, in WA uh, mm-hmm. where they really ripped out Australia's top order. And and all the all their bowlers are on form. Um, and Imran Tahir, again, is... is Dangerous in the middle stages. Quality bowling lineup. Don't have as much depth in the batting, but they still have a, have a, a quality top order. I'd like to think that we can just need South Africa in this one. Uh, we've actually got a very good record against South Africa in World Cups, obviously beating them in 2015. We beat them in 2011 mm, um, mm, mm. In, in important matches. 
beat them in 2003 at, at the Wanderers at their home ground. Stephen Fleming with that fantastic 100 after Herschel Gibbs scored 100 for South Africa in their first innings. Right. Uh, going going back to 1992 as well uh, when we, we beat them uh, in the 1992 World Cup. So we've got a really good record against South Africa in, in World Cup. So I think that we can definitely um, get over the line. In saying that, generally in World Cup matches, South Africa are, are usually favourites against us. So this time around, we may mm-hmm. may end up going to we may go into that match as favourites or possibly on on even uh, odds with them. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Right. Then you have you know uh, West Indies, Pakistan, Australia. Next three matches. West Indies are 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 a dangerous one. I actually picked them to to make the semi-finals, uh, and I, I picked them a, a, right. a year or so ago. I remember talking to you Rick about that. I thought if they could get all their yep. players back and uh, they got Gale back and we saw how, how well Gale played against England. Uh, Dre Russ, I mean, he's been carving up in the IPL. If I, if Dre Russ comes in the 40th over and you've set a platform, watch out. He can he can destroy any bowling attack right. in the world. They've come on so well. So well. I mean, the younger players in particular, you know, Hetmeyer, Shai Hope, um, that Poran, who's playing the IPL, he looks like an exciting talent. Uh, Urban mm-hmm. Lewis uh, exploded onto the, the T20 scene, the one-day scene a few years ago. I remember that time 100 Lewis got against England. Uh, cracked the ball around the park. Uh, an, an exciting player. So looking at them, you know, they are going to be dangerous. The only weakness for the West Indies for me is the bowling lineup. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting game. Uh, mm-hmm. A fascinating game, actually. Uh, Right, you know, right, I like right. to think that we we can get over the West Indies. Historically, we've done well against the West Indies. We beat the West Indies in a series in New Zealand a few seasons back, and we won that series really well. But this is a different West Indian side at the moment, and right. they are a confident side. And everybody knows when West Indies are confident, and 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 they get the the the, the fun back into the the game, and 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 they're excited. They play a different brand of cricket. And when they're confident, they can be really, really hard to beat. And as it showed against England, when they're in the mood and they're, they're loving their cricket, they can be they can be world beaters. And look, they they beat England in the Test series, albeit with a, a Test specialist side. They carried mm-hmm. that confidence into the One Day side. Uh, look, they're, they're going to be dangerous, and, and led by Jason Holder, who's a, who's one of the, the best all rounders in the world. So, yeah, an, another crucial game. Um, right, I can't give right. you a winner, but I would like to think that we we can we can beat the West Indies. Interesting. So then Pakistan and Australia, and then England at the end. Uh, Pakistan uh, again, an interesting side, a little bit like West Indies and in, in their temperament. Mm-hmm. We beat Pakistan a couple of seasons ago at home, uh, won that series five 0 now, Pakistan competed in, in patches. Uh, they've got a, a good top order. When you look at Zaman, you look at uh, Al-Haq, and you look at uh, Barbara Azam. The only mm-hmm. thing with Pakistan for me is that top three have got really good records, but right. who, have they got their, who have they got their runs against? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, Zaman mm-hmm. got that 100 against India in the Champions Trophy a couple of seasons back, but a, a lot of that top three have got runs against some of the lesser nations. And, and if you go to Crick Info and you filter... Uh, their, their averages and their, their overall records against the, the big four, and I'm talking about South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, India, right. who are ahead of them in the, in the one-day rankings. Mm. Uh, they're not as good as what they are against, say, the, the lower to middle middle tier teams. Uh, right. So, though they they 
on paper they've they've got a good top three. For me, it's it's still coming together for them. Uh, the middle order, uh, look, that's an edge where we've got over them. Uh, Show Malik, Hafiz, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're veterans. To be right. honest, I mean, would they make the Black Caps middle order? Probably not. I don't. I don't think. Uh, Malik, in his early days, we know it's sort of a, a damaging player he was with the bat. Was it was a decent uh, change spin bowler? Uh, Harris Sahel has come on a lot in the last season or so and had a good series against Australia and the UAE. Uh, and he's he's always showing that he's had talent. Uh, mm. Then when right. you look at that all round that all rounder slot. Sorry, not going to the old Pakistan side here. When you look at that all rounder slot, for me that they're not as dangerous as what they used to be. They used to have a lot of flamboyant hitters. You know that right. six, seven, and eight position when you had guys like a Freedy. Um, and Freddie used to be the Achilles here on the Black Caps for, for many years, you know, and come in and score quick 50s that would actually um, destroy us. But they don't seem to have that kind of player in their side anymore. And then when you look at their bowlers, uh, look, you've got Shadab Khan, um, who uh, from reports uh, won't be in the side going to England due to uh, hepatitis C. Uh, oh, will he wow. make the World Cup? I'm not sure. Uh, right. But we know he's a great talent. Hassan Ali, uh, Started off his, his one-day career fantastically well. Was at one point averaging two wickets a game. Hasn't has struggled a little bit over the last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Hasn't bright been in the one-day form. We know how Amir has really struggled in, in the last year or so in one-day cricket. I mean, you know whether he will be in the World Cup squad. That that's an, that's another uh, mystery. Uh, right. But again, in the Champions Trophy, he on the biggest stage when it mattered, he got the ball moving around uh, and. He obviously ripped out the Indian top or port on that occasion. Mm, For me, mm, and, and Juno Khan and, 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 and the new kid bowling 150 plus. So, you know, for me on paper, the Black Cap should, should win this game. Right. All right. So that leaves them uh, playing against your uh, cousins, Australia, and then, of course, England. Aussie's, Aussie's an interesting one. Uh, if you were to ask me, you know, six months ago or to see, yeah, I would have put us as favourites. Now, I'd say Australia will have the edge in this one. Mm-hmm. You get David Warner back. Right. You get Steve Smith back. You've got Kawaja, who, who's just exploded in the, in the last month or so. You know, he mm-hmm. wasn't even the first choice opening batsman for Australia uh, prior to Christmas. You know, they tried Short. They tried uh, Chris Lunn. They tried that, that, that big hitter block bash approach at the top of the order. Kawaja's come in. He's done exceptionally well. Uh, Aaron Finch found some form. You've got Warner. You've got Smith. You've got, uh, who am I leaving up? You know, Glenn Maxwell. Mm-hmm. He's just got mm-hmm. the, and he's, come, he's playing well at the moment. They just look so strong, uh, their batting lineup. Uh, right. Their bowlers, yeah. I mean, look, they're the world class, aren't they? I mean, Pat Cummins, for me, was, was outstanding for Australia uh, over the last summer for them. Uh, especially in India, on, on flat decks. He just keeps running in and running in. And, and, and he, now he's the spearhead of the Australian attack. Mitchell Stark is coming back from, from injury. Will he be mm. the same as he was prior to injury? He's, he's barely played a one-day match in the last few seasons. Uh, if he's if he's fit and rearing to go, he you know, we know how dangerous he's going to be. Um, Zamp has improved his form a lot in, in the last few months. He got some crucial wickets against India. Look, it's going to be a really, really big contest. They dusted us uh, in a series in Australia uh, a few seasons back. Uh, but then when they came over here, we, we beat them in the Chapel Hadley series. Uh, right. And uh, 
and and won the and retained the trophy. So, you know, like it's just going to be a really, really, really interesting um, contest. This and New Zealand mm-hmm. versus Australian contests and World Cups are always big. You think 1992 when we beat them at Eden Park, uh, 96 uh, when Legion put himself up the order and Chris Harris got that 130. Australia chased that down, but it was a really uh, incredible match. 1999, Roger Twos and Chris Cairns. The, the, the Black Hats were victory over Australia and Cardiff. Uh, that was a, a great uh, victory for us. Uh, Australia mm. went on to win that tournament. Uh, you know, 2003, uh, they crushed us in a semi-final after Shane Bond had them in all sorts of trouble. Um, Bevan and Bickle put on a, on a, a good partnership. And then our top order were blitzed by, by Brett Lee, uh, 2007 as well, getting right, going right. through that tournament. So, yeah, I mean, look, we've got a history of big matches against Australia. I think this one's will, again, be important. But um, I'd, I'd probably say Australia. Right. Ben, uh, you know, I keep referring to them as your cousins. I hope it's not a, it's not a sore point. I'm just being, trying, I'm trying to be funny, right? No, it's all right. All right. Ben, uh, there's one quick question I would like to just ask you. It's about this, uh, these matches that I think Tom Latham will lead uh, New Zealand against Australia. Then there's a three-match series that's been planned sometime in May. What, what's that all about? Yeah, it's it's a bit of an interesting series, and obviously a few of the frontline guys just wanted a bit of a break, and they wanted to uh, give some of the other guys in the wider squad some some practice before the tournament starts. You've got Kane Williamson, Trent Bolt, mm. Salvi, Santner, and they're all playing IPL at the moment, and Gapdul's playing in there as well, right? And, and Colin Munro. So yeah, it's just probably giving some of those guys in the wider squad a, a game, and also. And getting Tom Latham back into some form as well. Uh, Ross Taylor's also playing county cricket. Um, exactly. So it's just generally the, the guys that aren't playing any current cricket at the moment, getting them back into some form and getting them some cricket under their belts. Right, right, right. So the last one, the big one versus England. Well, well, uh, interesting. Uh, this is a different England side to the one that we beat in the 2015 World Cup, and we all know that. The series after the 2015 World Cup between the two nations was a really great series. It was a real high-scoring series. Uh, you know, scores close to 400. I think 400 was eclipsed on, on an occasion by England. And they really, really reinvented themselves after the World Cup. Butler, Bairstow, we all know how, how good they are. Uh, look, on paper, I'd say England will win this. Uh, they beat us in a series 3-2 mm-hmm. a season back. Uh, right. It was a really good series. Two of those matches that England won, they really crushed us um, big time. One at the Mount um, and, and in the final match uh, in Christchurch, and it went, was going to a decider. Uh, we didn't get any runs on the board on that occasion, and Besto, uh played out of a skin uh, in, in that occasion, and they, they, they cruised to victory. I think they were going you know, well over seven runs and over at one point. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. You know, England are going to be strong. I mean, there's a lot of issues with England at the moment, you know, with, with what's happened with Alex Hales. Uh, will Jofra Archie be back in? But I think the England side at the moment, I mean, they look really, really strong. Um, so based on that, look, I think um, on paper, you'd have to say England go into that match as as favourites. Right, right, right. So, I mean, uh, first of all, I think uh, before we summarise your thoughts here, I would like to say thank you. You gave us uh, sort of some interesting thoughts also about the other teams. So that was very nice for us, right? And yes, um, the other one, I think I, I have to mention this again. I can't believe in this instant recall you have about all the matches. 
that the Kiwis have played over the years. This is fantastic. This World Cup, that World Cup. How do you keep it in your mind, man? How do you do that? <laughs> oh, I've got no idea. <laughs> fantastic. All right. No, I don't know how he does it. Uh, does it either? I have to write. I uh, write things. Uh, uh, things down. I, I would. Uh, base, I would basically agree with most of what uh, Adam said then, and without going into, into detail, I actually think that um, whether New Zealand uh, make the semi-finals or not uh, will largely depend on the game against the West Indies. I really, I really think that's almost the semi-final eliminator. I see us winning the first three. I see us beating, um, but not easily, Pakistan and um, and South Africa. Um, Mm, it's mm, it's mm. six it's six wins that uh, will definitely uh, will definitely get you to the semi-finals uh, if there's rain interruptions five uh, five might so I think that sixth win uh, because right. I, because I I think I think we will uh, like Adam that we will probably lose to India Australia and England for the reasons he's given mm-hmm. that sixth win um, will have to be against the West Indies and I, I, so I actually think um, and with that coming in our sixth game. Right. Uh, situation by then will be fairly clear. I think that's almost a, a semi-final eliminate, uh, eliminator. I'm, I'm uh, on balance uh, picking West Indies, uh, you know, to be 60-40 to, uh, to winning that. Uh, I'm going along, uh, going along with Adam, but um, I'm mm. obviously, obviously hoping uh, that New Zealand win that one because I think I think if we win that one, then we'll we'll make the semi-finals at the expense of uh, West Indies. All right. Uh, what do you say, what's Adam? Do you agree with that? What, what's interesting about the tournament now is around Robin. So, you know, we've been used to this group stage format mm-hmm. since the 1992 World Cup. Now, what was interesting about the 92 World Cup was Pakistan made the fourth spot with four wins, three losses, and a no result. Now, they started the tournament off really, really slowly, and they built they built momentum, and, and they went through, and they, they won the tournament, obviously, in the end by beating England in the, in the final. And, and, and what's interesting is with the round-robin format for me, it doesn't matter if a team goes through that whole tournament, or the group stage or the round-robin stage, whatever you like to call it, undefeated, or go into the uh, semifinals 8-1. and one. All it takes is you to make the semifinals. Now, what are the conditions going to be like in England around there? Will there be uh, no results due to rain? Uh, will there be an, the odd, a, a tie chucked in there? Uh, how much will run rate matter in this tournament? So it's for me, it's going to be really interesting on that front uh i think all matches are going to be really crucial look just looking at that um start of the schedule i I actually have to be honest i didn't really look at new Zealand's schedule until you actually mentioned it to me for me what's concerning me is just how soft that start is for us we've basically got three matches that we should win and we should win well and then we're into india that's my that's my biggest concern looking at that uh Mm. that start for us and right. on the flip side, you've got a side like South Africa. Uh, from from memory, we've got like England, Australia, and India. Right. So if, if South Africa can somehow uh, beat one of those sides in their first three matches, mm-hmm. it'll it'll give them a lot of confidence going forward. But for us, our, our start of our tournament is against three, basically against three teams we should beat. Yeah, but on the on the other side on the other side of the coin, Adam. Uh, if we do win those three, then we'll be top of the table uh, going into the fourth game against India with three wins uh, wins out of three. So there's, there's actually two ways uh, two ways of looking at it. But I I understand the danger is that we go into the fourth game against India a little bit underprepared, 
um, if we've had three relatively st uh, straightforward uh, forward wins. But there's the uh, there's also the confidence uh, confidence factor. I, I think I think the other thing to mention is is I think there's quite there is a bit of lack of confidence after the way we got um, absolutely hammered by India 4-1 um, at home and India showed themselves to be uh, you know really stronger in all all departments. So it it may be a blessing for the Black Caps because, uh, because if we get three wins on uh, on the board. Um, even if they're not against um, um, a, dif a difficult op opposition, um, you know that that, that increases our increases our confidence levels going into into the game. So I'm not sure I'm not sure given uh, the situation we're in going into the World Cup um, mm. with with this um, with a very bad series loss to uh, uh, loss to India mm. that um, that's actually a bad thing. That's just my view. Well, I mean they did beat Bangladesh afterwards. But also they have these three matches prep series right against this Australia team that's being played in May. And I think they will, they will be okay. So, I mean, if I summarize your thoughts, Rick and Adam, you think, let's say, the matches against South Africa, West Indies might be crucial and also against Australia, right? If I'm not wrong. I, I do. Uh, I guess yeah. the other thing we need to think about in terms of World Cups is there's always an upset along the line, isn't there? There's always mm. a, 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 a short, smaller nation that beats one of the, the top nations. You know, we, we've seen that in, in many World Cups, whether it was, uh, you know, back in 1992 when Zimbabwe beat England, in 1996 when Kenya beat the West Indies, you know, 1999 when Ireland beat Pakistan. I mean, we, you know, you go you go through all World Cups. Kenya, I mean, there's always a surprise, isn't there? And, and mm. all it takes is one of those um, minos or smaller nations or whatever you like to call it, right. uh, beating one of the top nations and then it completely changes the complexity of 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 the of the World Cup, and yeah, right. and, and and that's what we could see again this time. Uh, you know, on on paper when you look at it, you know, you would say that from, from coming from a New Zealand perspective, uh, we've we've lost matches against indecisors against South Africa, against mm -hmm. India, against Australia, and against England since right. the 2015 World Cup. So that so that right there is four losses. So if we beat the rest of the teams that we should beat on paper, that gives mm -hmm. us a record of five and four. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see whether, number one, that happens uh, or whether we can jag a win against, you know, one of those those big four that I just mentioned. Um, as I said, we've lost um, deciding matches of right. series against those four teams. And for mm -hmm. me, that's always been the concern with us going into crucial series deciders we just haven't been able to do it against England against India and India a couple of seasons ago against Australia against South Africa so that'll, that'll be crucial so if we can jag a win against one of those sides it'll give us a lot of confidence for the rest of the tournament obviously we've got England last but winning a, winning a match against one of those big four early on is important so if we could beat India mm -hmm. that would go that'd be a huge step for us making the semi-finals and giving us confidence absolutely I think the other thing I, the other thing I would say I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of this uh, round robin uh, robin format uh, and it of course created a superb World Cup competition when it was the last used back in uh, 92 mm, um, mm. I, I certainly will not be surprised to see uh, see Afghanistan win three or four games 
If, right. if there's going to be any any major upsets, I think it will be Afghanistan uh, taking out one of the big boys. I don't think they'll. Uh, I don't think they're a good enough side to do it um, every game, but um, I I could certainly see them uh, see them uh, beating one of the big three. Right, right. I mean, yeah, uh, in no team would take Afghanistan team lightly. I would say, right. So I would say, um, yeah. So between the two of you, one after the other, Adam, maybe then Rick, will New Zealand make the semi-finals? Yes or no? Well, I hope we do. Uh, I remember having a chat with you, Rick, um, and Dave, who's also on the Cricketeers, a, a few months ago, um, and even going back probably actually probably six months ago before the start of the season, where I said I think this will be the first time New Zealand misses out on the semi-finals in years. Um, wow. And sometimes for me, it's not necessarily about how how well you play. You know, these other circumstances for me. You know, sometimes teams that win big tournaments have a, a story behind them or a narrative. You know, you think about other codes. You know, football, for example, and you know, you know France winning the World Cup um, in football, or you know, you know Germany. And it, there's always a certain story, a narrative, how teams get to the final and win it. Um, and for me, this team isn't as good as what it was in 2015. Uh, there's right. still some issues there. Uh, you know, we've talked about the, the opening the opening positions. Uh, Gardner Gupta was one of the best opening batsmen in, in one-day cricket. I mean, let's be honest, he's, he's fantastic. For me, he's just behind Robert Sharma. Uh, right. And we know how good he can be and can get big hundreds when he gets going, like Rohit. But it's just that other opening slot. We just haven't... We haven't sorted that out yet. Um, Henry Nichols is still a bit of an unknown quantity. Okay, he did play well against Bangladesh, but can mm-hmm. he do this now against the, the, the you know the, the big four, so to speak? Uh, that'll be interesting. Uh, Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor, their records speak for themselves. For me, they're the best middle order batsmen in the world together. The two of the best players in the middle stages at being able to manipulate and control an innings of a one-day match. Um, right. So we have, there's no issues there. Tom Latham's developed well. Uh, then obviously we've got, so we talked about the all-rounders. Can the all-rounders do the job this time around? Big pressure on them on, on a big occasion. Mm. Uh, the, the bowlers, Trent Bolt, outstanding. One of the top bowlers in the world. We know he will perform. So for me, it's going to be, it, it's, it's going to be whether our supporting cast can back up our big four players for me. And if they can right. do that, uh, we, we can go far in the World Cup. Uh, but, it, but as I said, I, when I look at the side on, on paper compared to 2011, 2015, I think the 2015 team was just more settled. You know, Brendan McCullough moved up the top of the order. Martin Guptill right. was in vintage form. Uh, Williamson Taylor. Uh, Corey Anderson uh, had, was in terrific form uh, leading into that World Cup against India a few seasons beforehand, then against Sri Lanka. Then you had Grant Elliott, who was brought back into the side. But Grant Elliott, people forget about Grant Elliott, as he scored a match-winning 100 against Australia um, early on in his career. So he was always a, a guy that could handle pressure. Luke Ronke was in great form. Daniel Vittori, uh, we, we know how, how experienced he was. And then, obviously, the bowlers in home conditions. So when, when, when I look at this team compared to that team, I don't think we're quite as good. Um, right. And I'm not sure what our narrative is to, to win the World Cup. So, look, I'll, I'll stay with my original uh, my original prediction and say I think we'll just miss out. I don't think we'll play bad cricket. I mm, think we'll, mm. we'll play well in patches, but I, I think that we might just miss out. And it could be a case of uh, possibly due to run rate. Right. Or no result. 
Agree with him, Rick? Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a very, uh, very difficult one. I, I actually think New Zealand will become uh, in the round robin uh, stages will be four, four, fifth. Is my view. Um, I'll still come back and say I, I, I think uh, the game against the West Indies is pretty, uh, pretty much decided. That is a very difficult one to call because we've um, new players, or, or sorry, or not new players, but players who have been largely out of their national team coming back in. You never quite know how the team is going to gel. But by, but that did happen uh, for the qualifying tournament, and they of course uh, won that and actually actually played quite uh, quite well in in the end. Um, right. If if I had to put my money one way, I'd I'd go for fifth rather uh, rather than fourth. But I'm obviously hoping it's going to be uh, hoping it's going to be fourth. But um, on balance, uh, I'm just with Adam. I'm sort of uh, sixty forty on us um, being fifth in the uh, round robin stage. So putting up a good performance. Um, and like and like Adam, I I don't think I um, I don't think our team is quite as strong as it was in in two thousand and fifteen either. Um, mm, mm. I, I'm concerned as uh, that we need the middle order players uh, players to fire, and although they're although they're reasonable players, they're just um, not quite the same as the uh, as the middle middle order we had in the last World Cup. Right. All right. Thanks for your thoughts there, both of you. I think Giri, quickly. Uh, I think you have a more <laughs> bullish prediction. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I'm I'm going to be the eternal optimist here. Um, considering uh, their current ODI ranking in the world um, as well. I'm going to say New Zealand will win at least five matches in the round robin. Uh, and there will be a couple of close ones uh, against, for example, South Africa, maybe also West Indies or Australia. Uh, but I'm going to give it to New Zealand uh, in all those uh, you know, ambiguous uh, scenarios. So I'll make it seven wins for New Zealand. <laughs> And hopefully uh, they'll they'll make it to semifinals, and uh, hopefully the cup is theirs this time. Wow! All right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> no, it's, well, it belies logic, I know, but that's what I would like. We will to be absolutely we will be absolutely delighted delighted if that's ha- if that all happens. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys, you heard it here for the first time. New Zealand will take the cup home. Yeah. Right. <laughs> all right. So I, I'm I, hope, go- I yeah. hope I hope your predictions are better than mine then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are predictions, right? So. Yeah. Well, to round it out, I would say uh, I'm going to be a bit pessimistic. I think it'll basically boil down to the match between South Africa and New Zealand, and of course versus West Indies for New Zealand, as far as I'm concerned. Most of the rest of the results we've already discussed it very thoroughly. I think if these two matches New Zealand can win, they'll qualify for the semi-finals. Even if they miss out on one of those, they are going to not make the semi-finals. This is my prediction, right? It's going to go down on both those matches. That's my prediction, but. I sort of root for the New Zealand team always. They are the dark horses for me. And earlier in the one of the other shows as well, we sort of predicted New Zealand will be our dark horses along with the West Indies. Let's let's really hope for the best here, right? All right. Guys. This, what's interesting about this World Cup though, it's probably the first time that New Zealand won't go into the tournament as like a dark horse. I think. Mm, you know, mm. we are amongst, I guess, some of the teams uh, that people are talking about to win the World Cup. I mean, for me, the dark horse, when I think about it, uh, well, well, there's two for me. There's the West Indies, who yeah. perform well against England, and we and they've got some of their stars back. And also, for me, South Africa. Because, mm. again, South Africa are going to go into this tournament without A.B. de Villiers and without the pressure of, of being favourites. So, you know, it, it could actually help South Africa. They could, they could end up 
winning uh, some very important matches. I think. I think. I think a lot of people are underestimating how good they could be because they again they beat they beat Aussie and Aussie mm. before Christmas and they beat Sri, Sri Lanka. Uh, what was it five nil? I think in the one day recent one day series. So uh, yeah, watch watch out for them. I reckon. Right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Thanks a lot for a very thorough chat, guys. It was it was uh, totally entertaining and totally you know informative for us as well. So I would like to say thanks a lot for being a part of this section of the podcast with us. So uh, would you like to say a few things about your podcast? Maybe plug anything, guys. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, our podcast is uh, is on uh, or every week um, is uh, on Sunday New Zealand time, uh, 5 p.m. and it also gets released um, on iTunes. Uh, you can uh, find our podcast on the uh, Cricketeers Twitter page, uh, which is Cricketeers NZ. So that's Cricket then uh, Tears T E E R S and then NZ. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page as well. Um, again, Cricketeers um, NZ. Um, so you can find our, our Facebook page there and our Twitter page and, mm. and listen to some of our rambling thoughts about cricket and our opinions about the New Zealand side. But obviously on this show, I haven't been so optimistic today. Nah, that's okay. That's okay. I'd rather <laughs> be a bit pessimistic, I'd say. Rick? Uh, yeah, I, ju- I would just add to, add to that. We've also got um, a Facebook page, um, New Zealand um, uh, cricket uh, cricket fans, uh, which can have some entertaining uh, discussion, particularly when there's, uh, when there's games on. New Zealand Cricket right. Fan Forum. Uh, forum, correct. Yep, sorry, forum, yep. All right. All right. Perfect. Also, uh, I think you can find the Cricketers podcast on Podbean, uh, where I listen to my podcast and our podcast is uh, also published there. So you can also listen to them there and also on Apple Podcasts, if I'm not wrong. So that was very entertaining, guys. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, I hope we can collaborate uh, again with each other shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, thanks uh, for having us on on the show. It's been great chatting about the World Cup and uh, uh, probably rambled on a little bit too much, but um, but thanks very much for the opportunity to be on your podcast. Uh, it was uh, great meeting you guys, and and as as you point out, it's been be great to chat at, at some time in the future. I'm sure we will. Looking forward to the uh, the 2019 World Cup. I'm sure it's going to be an, an awesome occasion. It's got great crickets, and uh, yeah, whoever wins, uh, I think we'll all uh, be thrilled and entertained by the quality of cricket on display. All right. I mean, uh, maybe during the World Cup, maybe after a couple of league matches, we can also invite you guys back as in, as guests and to analyze what's going on. Right. Let's see. Absolutely. Most enjoyable. Thank you very much for uh, for the invitation. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much, guys. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. All right, then. Uh, moving on, let's look at the other World Cup-related news. So uh, the main news uh, this week is that uh, West Indies have announced their team, one of the last teams to announce their team for the World Cup, and they have pulled a few uh, surprises on us, Kiri. Uh, were you able to take a look at the team? Yeah, big surprises, actually. Um, test match specialists, so that's what we thought of them, um, mm-hmm. like uh, Kima Roach and Shannon mm-hmm. Gabriel. They have both been included in the squad. Right. Um, and I think they come in for um, Alzari Joseph, uh, and who was the other guy? I, I, Rostin Chase has been left out in right. from our uh, prediction. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And uh, Fabian Allen comes in. 
right? right? Yeah, and uh, I think unlucky to miss out was were some of the people like, um, you know, uh, we, we thought Pollard would be given a chance, but I think he has not been included. Mm-hmm. Um, Sunil Narayan has not been included. Rovman Powell has not been included. Kimo right. Paul does not make the cut. Right. And, um, yeah, so... So some sub, I think big surprises were those two names, uh, Kima Roach and uh, Shane and Gabriel. Alzari Joseph, I think, ha- has been injured as well. So I don't know if he will be ready for right. World Cup. But then again, he's not picked anyway. So, but other big names do, you know, um, do remain. So people like uh, Chris Gale, Evan Lewis, Shea Hope, wicketkeeper batsman, Darren Bravo, Shimron Hetmeyer, mm-hmm. uh, Jason mm-hmm. Holder, Carlos right. Brathwaite also is in the squad. Um, Oshin Thomas, uh, fast mm. bowler, Ashley Nurse, uh, the spinning all-rounder, uh, Sheldon Cottrell and Nicholas Puron, the, the other wicket-keeper batsman. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, to our delight, Andre Russell does make a comeback. Um, so it's good to see. It, it, it's, it's, it's a little bit um, uh, off-balanced, I would say, because they are going in with um, Ashley Nurse, who is the specialist spinner, I think, in their squad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if someone else can roll their arm over. For example, Chris Kale can, but uh, who is the other spinner? I can't find the spinner here. Another spinner here in the squad. Any backup? Yeah. No, no. That's a that's a fairly good point. You know, you can't see Bravo or Hetmeyer or one of those people, or even even Lewis. I've never seen the bowl. So much like the New Zealand team that we were discussing earlier, they don't have a top order player who can also bowl a few hours of spin. I think it'll fall back on the universe boss possibly to bowl a few hours, mm-hmm. right? All right, that was the West Indies team surprise as far as we are concerned. Yeah. But going forward, there are a couple of, uh, you know, unfortunate news in uh, English uh, World Cup related uh, squads. So one, uh, well, uh, Sam Billings was not exactly in the squad, but was in, in and around the setup and he could have been named in the 15, let's say. He has injured himself in the ODI or the list A match while representing Kent. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ben Fox has been called into his place for the Pakistan ODI series upcoming right this is very unfortunate for Billings I think because he had a good chance of making the 15 as one of the backup batters right the other backup batter who's also sort of named to make the 15 Hales Alex Hales has uh, sort of been given a you know a 21 day ban because of some recreational drug use and he's been caught in the preseason testing so they have a hair follicle testing regimen in the English county circuit for in the preseason setup and uh, because of this he's been found out and he's been given a 21-day ban. So we don't know whether he'll yet make the World Cup because the ban will run out well before the World Cup begins. And he's a mm-hmm. backup op- opener, right? Kidding? Yeah. He has a previous history, right? So. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I think he'll he, even if he does not make the cut, they they have a strong enough side England. So it should be okay even without him, I would say. Right. Right. Yeah, but it, it, it's unfortunate on the player himself. On That's the player himself, himself, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, he makes it, though. All right. Now, going further, let's look at some of the other news outside of the, you know, the main cricketing and the World Cup uh, related news. And first of all, we would like to congratulate United States of America, Oman and Namibia for securing the uh, ODI status because of their positions in the, positions in the ongoing World uh, Cricket League Division 2 tournament. Mm-hmm. Right. So Oman and uh, Namibia have made the finals and the USA finished third. As a result, they're uh, all securing the ODI status. This means there's a big boost in the amount of funding that they secure from ICC. And also all their matches will now be counted as ODIs. So that's a great thing for them. Don't you think, Kiri? Congratulations to them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. We, uh, you know, you remember earlier this year, Netherlands were touring Oman. 
right, uh, for a right. tri series with uh, I believe it was Scotland right um for t20 series exactly um so i that that actually was one of the first ever occasions that i heard about the nomani cricket team mm. and now they've already got uh, odi status uh, which is very good to them i think uh, well done to all these teams mm-hmm. and hope to see them play against uh, top rung uh, you know cricketing nations um maybe even the next uh, uh, um, countries like afghanistan zimbabwe and all these uh, teams should play against these i think they should get more exposure as well Right, right, right. Also, I think um, Papua mm-hmm. New Guinea. I hope I got mm-hmm. the name of the team right, mm-hmm. or the country right. They also have secured ODI status as a part of the same tournament. So, also congratulations to Papua New Guinea. So, there's so, three teams then. Three teams. Four teams, actually. So four teams, okay. Oman, Namibia, Papua New Guinea, and the United States. So, on top of that, uh, well, another news that is coming also from the same tournament, the World Cricket League Division 2, is that Claire Polosak, uh, the Australian female umpire, will make history as the first female umpire to stand in a men's ODI match when she is slated to, you know, umpire the finals of the same tournament versus mm-hmm. uh, in between Namibia and Oman, right? So congratulations mm-hmm. to her as well. All right, then going further, uh, some other small news in retirement news. Marisa Aguilera, uh, the former West Indian women's uh, keeper and captain of the team, she's going to retire from the international cricket is what we hear. So we wish her all the best. For uh, future endeavors, I think she's been a very long-standing servant of the West Indian team, women's team, and uh, so I hope she gets as much success uh, with her uh, after retirement, uh, you know, exploits as she did on the field. Also, Ian Gould, uh, the famous umpire, will retire after the World Cup 2019. He's announced. So, also good luck to Mr. Ian Gould. He's uh, he's been a you know sort of a st- um, fixture with international cricket in men's international mm-hmm. cricket for many years now. So I hope you know he he goes uh, into retirement well and has it's, success. It's also the, a great occasion to retire from uh, world cricket because he he did he did play in the World Cup 1983 World Cup as a wicketkeeper for England. Right? Fantastic, so, fantastic. So so it's good to good to see the great guy retire. Gunnar Gould. Yes, indeed. Uh, yes. But uh, good luck to him after his World Cup. All right. In one of the last pieces of news we'll discuss today. So it looks like Lakshman and Tendulkar have also been served notices by the BCCI Ombudsman, right? So we remember earlier, uh, Mr. Justice P.K. Jain had served uh, notices on, uh, or notice Ganguly. on Ganguly, mm-hmm. right? So he's now being uh, also more proactive and he's also asked Sachin Tendulkar and VVS Lakshman about their roles with their corresponding, you know, teams. So Tendulkar with Mumbai Indians and Lakshman with, uh, uh, see, what are they called? Uh, not Deccan Chargers anymore, right? Sorry. No, they're <laughs> so called Sunrisers. So, of course, Sunrisers. And speaking Thanks of Tendulkar, uh, we would like to wish him a belated birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple mm-hmm. of days ago, he he had his birthday on the 24th of April. Of course, of course. So, the great man, I think he turned 46 now, if I'm not wrong. 40, 45, mm-hmm. I think, even. Right. So, yeah. Cool. Best wishes. Mm-hmm. All right, of course. All right, then. So, all that remains for us uh, in today's episode is a trivia question. So, the trivia question for this week is, which New Zealand cricketer was credited as being the first pinch-hitting opener in ODIs, right? And thereafter, this became a norm for other teams as well. So, who's the player that has been credited with sort of being the first of his his kind, a pinch-hitting opener? So, please do write in uh, with your answers to us. You know, you can contact us on Twitter at ArmchairCrickPod or via our Facebook page. You can leave us a comment on our post, right? Also, you can write into us at armchair.cricket at gmail.com. 
right also you can leave us some comments on for example wherever you follow our podcast it would be an apple podcast it would be on castbox it would be on podbean wherever you follow our podcast please do leave us a comment and we'll get back to you if the answer is right or not right and as we always say help popularize our podcast with your uh, cricket friends and also if you are interested in ever coming in as a as a guest or if you have some thoughts for us on how we do our podcast it's always welcome so we have uh, well a couple of uh, weeks of lull i would say where we'll be also reviewing the other teams remaining for us and we follow a bit of ipl and then the the bonanza the world cup begins so i hope you can do you know stay uh, tuned in to our podcast for all the upcoming episodes and the world cup episodes as well so we have some interesting guests joining us who will also help us analyze england and india's chances at the world cup in the upcoming episodes so do stay tuned in all right then having said all that it's a goodbye from me and it's a goodbye from him bye bye you're listening to the armchair cricket podcast